Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, and today we are closing out our first letter. This season we're doing letters to Asia, which is significantly different than what we have done for the last several seasons. Let me grab my mouse real quick. And as we have thought about the church at Ephesus, I want to remind us that these letters, as far as I can tell, and everything that I've looked at with it, are a stark warning and a sharp warning to each congregation that meets today. And with Ephesus, we talked about in our first episode of this particular season, knowledge of works. They were a working congregation. There was no doubt, there could be no doubt, that Ephesus was known for its ability to be a working church. And I think when we look at a lot of our places today, it's it's the same thing, right? There's a lot of activities, there's a lot of programs, there's a lot of places that you can find work to be done when we think about the, the work of the church. And as you and I talked about those knowledge of works that Jesus had for that church in Ephesus, it's not hard for us to look in the mirror, so to speak, and see the same thing for each of us. But then we get to something else, and in the second place, we talked last week about a knowledge of weakness. And that weakness is also something that I, again, would submit to you is evident in so many of our congregations today. It's so easy to ponder the same weakness that Ephesus had and not sit there and think, man, are we the same place? Are we in the same area? Today, I want to do what I like to call text takeaways, text takeaways. But before I do that, I want to remind you that the Scatter the Broad Network is a work of the Memphis School of Preaching. Memphis School of Preaching is located in Germantown, Tennessee, one of the top five cities in the whole state of Tennessee where you could live. And we have a massive campus an availability to house our preaching students and their spouses, even if they're married, in four eight-unit apartments that we have on campus. So we have 32 apartments, meaning we can have 32 couples, 96 single students. If you have ever thought about preaching, you've ever thought about it, now's the time, all right? This is the time. You can reach out to us at admissions at msop.org, or you could even email me at m-c-l-a-r-k-e at msop.org for me to come out and talk to you about the school. I'd be happy to fill in for your preacher if he's going to be out of town, or if you guys just want a one-day Sunday report on the school, what I've typically done is I go and I I do a report on the Bible class, and then I can preach in the services if you like. Um, It's my job to talk about the school and to promote it and to try to find students And I'm thankful now that the Scatter the Broad Network is a showcase officially of what MSOP taught us because all of our main shows are hosted by alumni of MSOP. 
Now, as we get in, I have four text takeaways today from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Number one, Ephesus had neglected what they were taught. God had given them all that they needed. I mean, think about it. They had salvation, family, purpose. They'd been properly equipped with all of these things, and they still left. Even being rich with all that God had done for them, they walked away. How can that not remind us of John chapter 6, where the people hear what Jesus was teaching, and they say, you know what? Mm, Not what we want. And so they turn and walk with him no more. But in this case, they left the knowledge of what they had been taught. You know, I, I try to tell my children, it's one thing to know that you're going to do something right or wrong. It's another thing entirely to be ignorant of that and do something wrong. For example, I have a six-year-old and I have an almost two-year-old at the time of this recording. The six-year-old understands more of what is right and wrong than the two-year-old does. And so when I talk to the six-year-old, it's a little bit of a deeper conversation, as deep as you could get with a six-year-old. When I talk to the two-year-old, it's trying to explain We don't do this. No, no. But when I talk to the six-year-old, I might sit down and say, listen, here's why this is bad. Here's why you shouldn't do this. And if I do something wrong, nobody talks to me like I'm a six-year-old. They tell me just flat out, hey, you did this wrong. You should not do that again. We have to realize that if we know something is wrong, and we do it anyway, that's just as much of a problem as if we don't know that it's wrong and we commit a transgression. You get pulled over for speeding whether you know the speed limit has changed or not. But again, when we talk about Ephesus, we're talking about a church that left the love that they had. Just going through the motions. That's our second takeaway. It's not enough just to do that. Why should you and I do the work of the church? I mean, why does anyone do something for a person that they love? Is it out of choice, obligation, expectation, or or joy? You know, if you're married, when you need to cook dinner, it shouldn't really come across as some massive burden, right? You should be able to do that. If your spouse needs help with something, it shouldn't come across as the end of the world. Now, there are going to be times where you can't always do everything the way that you would like, but it it shouldn't be the end of the world and be seen as some massive burden. And, you know, doing the work of the church shouldn't be a burden either. We must wake up every single day overjoyed that we have another opportunity to serve. I'm reminded of what the psalmist says in Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. You know, when our heads hit the pillow every night, can you and I truly say that we tried to make a positive impact in the kingdom? Or are we just checking boxes? That's what Ephesus was doing. They were doing the work, but not living the work. There's kind of something interesting here. Jesus gives them what we would call a compliment sandwich. 
this isn't original with me, and I'll post the article down in the show notes, but it, it's very interesting what the compliment sandwich is. It's also called the feedback sandwich or a criticism sandwich. And beyond being one of the worst management techniques ever invented, according to this article, it was created as a way of trying to give somebody constructive criticism without making them feel bad. And this article, it kind of trashes this mentality, and I disagree with it. But it says, basically, it's where you give somebody a compliment, then you give them some critical feedback, and you close with another compliment. And so someone might say, you know, you're just so talented, and you're so smart, you do such a good job, you might be the smartest person in our department. But your behavior on the team the past couple weeks has been pretty bad. Your colleagues are starting to get pretty irritated with you because you're sarcastic and caustic and just about everything else. Ah, But you're just so bright. I just want everybody to appreciate how big that brain of yours really is. And the way the article reads this and writes it, it wants me to look at that in a snarky way. There's no value and there's no benefit to a compliment sandwich. But that's exactly what Jesus does here in Revelation 2. He starts with a compliment, verses 2 through 3. I know your works, your labor, patience. You can't bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You found them to be liars. You've preserved, persevered, I guess I should say. That's the word. You've patience. You've labored for my name's sake. You've not become weary. You are doing all of these things well. There's the first piece of bread, if you will. Let's get to the meat, though. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent. Do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly, and I'll I'll remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. There's the meat. There's the issue. But this you do have going for you. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There's the last piece of bread. I think it's important to point out just like the book of Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 1, you, you can't just give positive preaching all the time. You can't always just focus on the positive aspects of the Word of God. Now, we should be focused on those as well. But it cannot be said of any of us, it cannot be said that we only ever preach positivity. Revelation 2, 1 through 7, is not all positive. You just eat bread when you have a sandwich? No, there's something profitable you put in between the bread, right? What Ephesus needed, what was in between the two pieces of bread, the compliments that Jesus gave them, no one could point to them as a stagnant church. Their issue was their heart. And just going through the motions. Number three, our lampstand is still capable of being removed. It's high time for us to stop being complacent. And, you know, being complacent just simply means showing a smug or uncritical satisfaction with your own achievements or with what you've done. You know, you just, you've done it. Let's move on. Let me ask you to bear with me 
for just a little bit here while we do this, okay? Let's say that we, as Christians, we've heard the gospel, we've obeyed it. So what? What have we done to truly show our appreciation and understanding of the value that the gospel has? It's not a huge deal, but it's interesting to some, so I can point it out. If you ever play in a fantasy sport league, football, basketball, maybe hockey, I don't know, baseball, you don't really have a ton of influence over what happens in the game. I mean, you have to play the right people, but outside of that, that's all you really have control over is who you put in the lineup. Do you feel a sense of accomplishment, though, even when you win? Yeah. I mean, because think about it. You made the right decisions to play the right people. When you win one and you enjoy playing that fantasy sport, do you just stop? Because I, you know, I've I've won. I'm done. No. Now take it a step further to something that actually, you know, matters. Alabama has won more national championships in the last 10 years than a good majority of the SEC and the Power Five conferences combined, um, the ones that are good enough to get there. Alabama has been in the playoff more times than a great majority of the other Power Five conferences that you would expect to be there. Leave Florida State out of it. It's just what it is, right? And if Alabama, at the time that I've recorded this, December 26th, wins another title on January the 8th, which coincidentally would have been, you know, just about nine days ago when this airs. Will Nick Saban have finally done enough to convince people that he's one of the greatest coaches of all time? I think we could argue he's he's already done that. But I was talking with my family on my in-law's side yesterday at Christmas, and at dinner we were talking about, well, you know, he could three-peat. No one's ever three-peated. But even if Nick Saban never three-peats, if Nick Saban doesn't win another national championship the entire time that he coaches, he will still go down in history as the greatest college football coach we've seen so far. And as far as I can tell, he's coming back next year for another season. You love something when you can reach the mountaintop of pretty much every single category and still want to come back and keep doing it. Therein lies the peril of Christianity for us, though. Because you and I can proverbially in our minds reach a mountaintop of of accomplishment. You know, we've been a Christian for 10 years. We've been a Christian for 20 years. We're doing all these things so well, and, and it can be so easy to just get into the mindset of resting on our laurels. Well, 15 years ago, we did this. We had this program, and it, it worked really great. We had all these people coming over, and, you know, 
we used to do this, and it was so great. All these people were coming over, and we, we did, we did, we did. We had, we had, we had. So what? What can we start doing now to make an impact? What could be done today in our congregations so that 15 years from now, someone can say, wasn't it a blessing that we started this particular work? Look, look at all the fruit that has been born from it. Look at all the good that it has done for the membership that meets here. It's time to start getting involved. Look, we, we need you, men. We need preachers. We have too many men in congregations that they're doing a great work where they're at, but they could do so much more if they would sacrifice for two years to go to school and then to dedicate their lives to preach the gospel. I guarantee you, you won't regret it. Is it easy? No. If it were easy, we wouldn't have a preacher shortage. Is it necessary? Yes. Romans 10, 17. How shall they hear without a preacher? We need you. And maybe you're in the category you say, I'm just not a preacher. Can you lead prayer? Can you serve the local congregation as an elder or a deacon? Well, I'm already a deacon. It's time to be an elder. If you're qualified, I'm already an elder. It's time to teach a class if you're qualified and you can. Do, you, do we think that Jesus would refuse to lead prayers in the assembly? Would Paul? Well, they're supposed to be like both of them. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul wrote. Our lampstand can be removed. The sad thing is, if somebody this Sunday wanted to go to the church at Ephesus, they can't find them anymore. This iteration of the church that met at Ephesus is gone. Isn't that sad? Shouldn't that break our heart? And at what point do we not sit there and wonder, are we next? I'm not talking about a church that might close its doors to, to kind of combine with another congregation in the area, and I think there's merit that we should do more of that. Another subject for another time. But we can definitely be destroyed just as easily as we can thrive. But number four, our lampstand is still capable of being restored. And the blessing of God is that we don't have to be removed. He doesn't want us to be lost. He, he gave Ephesus a chance to change. And he'll give us the same. And he's willing to bring us back. There's not a time in history where man has repented and God neglected to forgive them. Not a single moment in history where we could find these things happening. Not one. Every time someone asks God for forgiveness, he is faithful to give it. He is full of mercy. But you and I cannot kid ourselves into thinking that God will overlook our sins simply because he loves us. Ephesus didn't have to end up the way that it did. Will we be like them? Or will we change? Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Don't forget to uh, subscribe, leave a rating and a review on all of our major podcast platforms that you can find us. You can subscribe to the main show, The Master Feed, by typing in Scatter the Broad Network Master Feed into your favorite podcast app.
But until next week when we're back to begin the church at Smyrna, let's remember to please God now so our eternity can be far better.